The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh-oh, this is a great show. This is international because our guest from the U.K. is calling from one of the islands that he reminds me. Think of the cow and Guernsey. I hope I That's got right. that right. Am I right? One of the Channel Islands. Okay, one of the Channel Islands, better said. Um, and he is... I just want to tell you something about Kevin Bales. He has had such an impact on me because someone gave me his book to read years and years ago, Disposable People, and wow, I read it. I thought, I didn't realize all this went on to this degree. And it just had such an impact on me. I said, I've got to find this man. I've got to have him on my show. And now... Here we are. I've been having him on for years uh, because I feel his message is so very important. He is the professor of contemporary slavery, Wilberforce Institute for the Study of Slavery and Emancipation at the University of Hall. He is a very, very, very powerful author co-founder of Free the Slaves. His book, the one I was talking about, Disposable People, New Slavery in the Global Economy, has been published in 10 languages. And wait to hear this. It was named one of the 100 world-changing discoveries by the Association of British Universities. How powerful is that? And he's currently writing another book on slavery and environmental destruction. He is just a wonderful man that's made a big difference in the world with his work. Welcome to the show, Kevin Bales. Oh, it's great to be back, Joyce. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you. And I see you left us and you moved back to the UK. And here you are, professor of contemporary slavery. And by the way, Wilberforce, what an appropriate place for you to be with what you believe in. Um, but tell us, what is it like? What's your class like? What are you doing there? Well, you know, I had spent 12 years uh, back in, in the United States um, uh, establishing Free the Slaves, the anti-slavery organization, just doing a lot of work with the U.S. government and other NGOs and so forth. But I was coming to that point where I was feeling very strongly that I wanted to spend more time doing research and writing. There are so many questions about modern slavery that we don't have answers to. A lot of areas haven't been looked into. And, you know, when you're working to drain the swamp, you know, you sometimes forget what you're really doing because you're fighting the crocodiles the whole time. And, and you work with, you know, you build up an NGO, a, a non-governmental organization, a and, and it feels like you're always wrestling those crocodiles. So anyway, I needed to come back and uh, spend a little time getting deeper into the issues that we know more about. So I'm having a lovely time being back in Britain. I like, I like it here. I'm a, I'm a dual citizen, a U.S. and U.K. citizen, so I kind of fit in in both places. So you, as you can tell, I don't sound like an English person. I'm sorry to anyone who is expecting an English accent. <laughs> well, you know... Like, what, what is your course like? I mean, is this for graduate students? Is this for seniors? What is it like? Well, I don't teach a lot. I, I should tell you that. I teach mostly postgraduates uh, and mostly about uh, the, two or three things, how to research contemporary slavery, how to understand slavery, how to understand the economics of slavery and so forth. Um, we're building up a new degree now, which will be a... Uh, primarily a training degree, 
uh, it will help people to learn all those things you need to do to get people out of slavery. We've, we've now, around the world, there have been so many groups that are being very successful at intervening in situations of slavery, and they're working out those systems, but there's nowhere you can actually go to learn how to do that job. People have to learn that job on the job. And now, I'm happy to say, there's starting to be more funding coming from lots of different sources. Lots more governments are becoming very interested in bringing slavery to an end within their borders. But we're about to have a big shortage of people who actually know how to do that job, liberators. We, don't, we just don't have enough liberators. And so that's what you're going to do. You're going to create liberators. Well, I hope so. <laughs> so you know, uh, some years ago, I, I wrote a follow-up book to Disposable People that was called Ending Slavery. And, and one of the things that, as I worked seven years researching that book about how we could bring slavery to an end, and one of the clearest messages I got around the world was that we just needed to clone the liberators that we had because they were out there doing this amazing work. They were putting their lives on the line a lot of the time, taking terrible risks, doing great stuff to get people out of slavery and into lives that were full and safe and educated and, and everything that people want to have in their lives. But we just had too few of them. And uh, so I'm hoping we, we'll be able to, 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 to solve that problem a little bit anyway. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, you can see the impact you've had on me. Two weeks ago, we had the Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez, who, of course, reports to the President of the United States, and we've had all types of people on this show, and it was about disabilities, talking about disabilities, but I have always felt committed to have you on the show so that we could keep educating people. Uh, So that's the impact you've had on me, Kevin. Well, thank you, Joyce. Thank you. Well, I know Kevin, you have a big impact all over the United States, all over the world, and, you know, it's an honor for me to get to be on your show. Oh, well, you're my champion, Kevin. <laughs> and as I already told everyone about disposable uh, people, well, as you can, all my listeners can see, I just told you I have Kevin on as often as possible. I try to have him on every year because... You know, if people don't know about it, they can't do anything about it. So that's why, you know, I want to keep spreading this. But um, it is amazing how many people throughout the world you've impacted. Uh, and, And I believe that in the future, because of you, you will have freed many people. But I know I was surprised when you told me how this first happened. I wondered if you'd share that with our listeners. What I mean is, what made you first go down this road? Oh, you know, it was, it was that, that, that time I was at a public event in London, and I saw a, a man sitting behind a table like a fundraiser for a charity, and there was a leaflet on that table that said, there are millions of slaves in the world today. And I looked at that leaflet. This was in the early 90s, uh, 1990s, and I looked at that leaflet, and I thought, that can't be true. Everybody knows slavery is a thing of the past. You know, I thought, that's just what kind of, what kind of group would say that? So I, I picked up the leaflet, and I looked inside of it, but it, it didn't say anything about millions. It just had a few anecdotes about this, this young woman from Czechoslovakia who had been enslaved into prostitution in London and this child from Sri Lanka who had been enslaved in a cam- as a camel jockey in the United Arab Emirates and so forth. And I thought, well, you know, anecdotes, personal stories, that's terrible stuff, but that doesn't make millions. But it just grabbed my, it grabbed my curiosity because I thought, if there really are millions, then that would, be, that would be big. That would be huge news. Everyone thinks it's a thing of the past. I, I'm amazed that anyone could say this because I just find it so hard to believe. But I thought also if it's not true, then it needs to be disproven and people need to be shut up, and, you know, because you can't go around telling, saying things that aren't true. So that's what got me going in it. And it was all about my curiosity at first. But in time, when I went out to actually investigate slavery on the ground, that's what really changed my heart. My brain was engaged, but my heart got changed later 
when I begin to meet people in slavery, find out what their lives were like, witness it firsthand, oh, it just tore me up inside. It was terrible. I, I, it's hard to explain how rough it is, but I, a lot of it comes, a, comes across, I know, in disposable people because I was writing that book as I was meeting people in slavery for the first time. And I, and I realized, you know, I, I just can't, at that time, I couldn't go back into the university, into the classroom, I really, I realized I, I really needed to spend much more of my time in my life dedicated to doing what I could to start the process of, of exposing contemporary slavery and then helping people to find ways to get people out of contemporary slavery. See, this is what is such an amazing story. That is the story that needs to be written. Here's this man, sees a flyer, Wow, that can't be true. I'm going to find out if that's true. And then when he finds out that it's true, look what's happened since then. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful in this world if we could write a book, Don't Pass the Flyer? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is amazing that you did that, Kevin. That, that is a good lesson for everyone um, because you didn't turn your head. You did something about it. Well, so, you know, I, I just, Joyce, I just feel really blessed, lucky, fortunate to get to do the things I do. I, I, I have so much job fulfillment, I can't even begin to tell you. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, you almost make me sound like some kind of guy who sacrifices a lot, but I feel so happy to get up and, and work on this every day. Not least, and I got to tell you, you, you just, you can't have a better day at work than when you get, say, a piece of video from a project in West Africa and little children who have been stolen into slavery are being reunited with their mothers. And, I, and it's right there in the film. I mean, I have to tell you, when you see that, you just feel like, well, that's, you know, if I've done nothing else in my life besides that, then that's okay, because that's phenomenal. And oh, I, gotta... I can't imagine. I, I can't even imagine. Um, but you know what, Kevin? Not everyone would do this and feel the way you do. So I know you're very modest, but what you're doing is really unbelievable. It is monumental. And uh, what I want you to do is share with our listeners now, here we are talking about slavery and how widespread it is globally. And still to this day, Kevin, when I tell people how I first met you and about your book, you know, they'll say, oh, you got to be kidding, that can't be true. Just what you said when you saw that flyer. Yeah. But it's so hard for people to believe. And now that, you've, now that I've read your books, I'll be somewhere and I'll see, for example, uh, immigrants working from Mexico. It's, it's some uh, place that is, sells like a greenhouse. Uh, or a nursery, and, you know, just the way they act and the way they keep their head down, you know, I'm thinking, now what's going on here? You know, I, I need to check into this, and I need to ask, and, and I do because of that book, you know, the impact you had on me with that book. But would you mind educating our listeners here for a minute uh, and talking about slavery and how really widespread it is? I'd be happy to. And you know, Joyce, I've got, I've got a lot of new information for you. There's very good news about uh, some big donors around the world who have decided to invest in much higher quality research, getting the Gallup polling organization, for example, to help us collect data country by country. So we're getting closer to really clear and reliable data on what is really a crime that's that's hidden away most of the time. So, you know, getting good data on slavery is, uh, getting good information on slavery is, is, is kind of tricky. The, but I can well, tell you that great. But we're, we're publishing this every year now in something called the Global Slavery Index. And that's online. You can put in Global Slavery Index and it'll come right up and you can download a copy or you can read it online or look at the website. The latest figure that we have is that there are just under 36 million people in the world in slavery. Oh and that's based God. on a lot better data than we've had in the past. It doesn't mean that the number of people in slavery is increasing. It's really more about the power of our microscope is getting stronger and stronger. And I suspect 
that when we come out with the next edition of the Global Slavery Index, which will be next February, I suspect the number is going to go up again. But again, I don't necessarily think it's because the amount of people in slavery is increasing. I think it's because we're seeing them much better, seeing them much more clearly. We've been able to, in that index, um, determine, make a, a strong estimate for how many people are in slavery in every single country. And there are, virt- well, 168 countries, not every tiny little island country in the world, but most of the countries, we, it represents 99% of the world's population. And it, the other part of this that's so important is that we're also now able to look at why those people are in slavery. And what I mean by that is, what are the different sorts of causes that are pushing people towards slavery or luring them into slavery, and how do those differ from country to country? One of the things that we know very clearly is that if you live in a place where there's a civil war going on, if there's ethnic violence, if there's some kind of pogrom, that's going to disrupt the rule of law, and when the rule of law disappears, then people, criminals, can reach in there and take people into slavery. You see this very clearly in a place like the Democratic Republic of Congo, or the, it was the way it was in Liberia 10 years ago, or even Bosnia 15, 20 years ago, Bosnia and the former Yugoslavia. But it's happening around the world. Other places, it's, it's about other things. It could be about religious discrimination. It could be about gender discrimination. It could be about any, anything, really, that makes where, where within a society people are allowed to believe that some people are second or third class or subhuman. And that separating, that division, that racism, sexism, ethnic discrimination, you name it, that sep- when people are allowed to separate out and lose their rights because of it, it just makes them that much more vulnerable to enslavement. Wow. Now, that, let me ask you, are there certain countries you find that people, uh, criminals, go to, to uh, you know, to take people uh, by hostage or by trickery or, you know, against their will, whatever it is, are there certain countries they go to more to come to the United States in different places? Uh, for example, do they go more frequently to companies in South countries in South America and Africa? Uh, how, how does that work? Well, that's a good question, and it's actually a question where the the, the answer changes uh, from you know, over time. Uh, you know, the, the trafficking, you're talking about trafficking, what's called human trafficking of people into the United States. And there are, there are a lot of people who are caught up in that situation. Our very conservative estimate is that, you know, there may be 40,000, 50,000 people who are trafficked into the United States uh, or, and enslaved there right now. In addition to regular Americans who also get caught up and enslaved in the United States. But what we what we know is that when we look back uh, and try to figure out where people are coming from, we, for one thing, you know, people are trafficked from, the, from poorer countries to richest, richer countries. And when you're the richest country in the world, people are trafficked to you from all kinds of countries. So we know they're coming from 40 or 50 or maybe even 100 different countries into the United States. We also know that those the problems in those origin countries, again, war, economic downturn, it could be a drought, it could be floods, it could be earthquakes, I mean, anything that knocks people for a loop, that kind of puts them into a situation where they can fall into the hands of someone who's going to try to trick them or take them by violence, they're more likely. So I remember in the past, for a while, more people were coming from Central and South America than it that it was more people were coming proportionally from uh, China, and it, it would go back and forth according to the economic situations and the political and, and conflict situations of the countries. So, you know, it's the old story over and over. A moment ago you mentioned, you know, what if you saw someone who was Latino, then the way they look sort of cowed, keep their heads down, in a, and you were saying in a, in, a, in a greenhouse type work, in a garden center maybe, and I immediately thought of a woman that I spent a long day with interviewing her who had been enslaved in a, in a greenhouse in a garden center on Long Island uh, after uh, the most harrowing trip 
uh, up the up through Central America from Peru as she was trying to find her way to a better life. And I think that's really important for us to remember that a lot of the people who end up in slavery in the United States end up in slavery because they do exactly what you or I would do in their shoes, in their situation. You know, if your kids are hungry, if you, if you can't keep your kids in school because you can't afford it and they're hungry and, they're, and you live in a dangerous place and you feel, feel for your life or you worry about your, the lives of your children, you will try almost anything to, to take care of the people you love. And a lot of the people who end up enslaved in the United States are, are taking actions to protect the people they love, but they get into the wrong mechanism. They get tricked by people who prey on that, and instead of giving them an opportunity, which they offer, they're actually just giving them a, a way to be drawn into slavery. Well, you know, um, and then we can go specifically examples in the United States and the United Kingdom, but um, there are different types of slavery. You know, we'll, t- they, we'll talk about, for example, uh, sex trafficking in a little bit, but in addition to that, um, you know, I know in your book you talked about uh, indentured servant slavery and, you know, various different types of slavery, including being right in, the, just as you mentioned that example in Long Island. But it can be even more involved. It can be a maid or someone working at someone's home. I wonder if you could talk about that, you know, the different forms this can take. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes it hard to talk about the different forms is that criminals can be creative. And about the time you think you've heard it all, you hear about a new kind of slavery. Um, Around the world, there must be hundreds of types of slavery. And I have to say, if you look across human history, you'll find there are many, many types of slavery as well. Uh, one, of, one of the problems that we have sometimes is that people tend to try to take different types of slavery and say, well, that might be slavery, but that wasn't. And they get confused by the different terminologies. But, you know, really, if a person is under the complete control of another person, Violence is being used to maintain that control and to keep people under control, the threats of violence as well. And then they're using that, using that violence and control to exploit them economically, to use them maybe in addition for sex as well as for production. Then you're really talking about a situation of slavery, whether it's legal slavery or illegal slavery or tribal slavery or customary or whatever. That total control, violence, and exploitation is what slavery has always been about. Now, most of the people in the world are actually, you know, the, India has the highest number of people in slavery that, that we, we believe. Something like 14 million people are in slavery in India, but then the population of India is over a billion people. But they've had for a very long time a kind of slavery called debt bondage, hereditary debt bondage. And it's a kind of hereditary slavery, just like we had in the Deep South before the American Civil War, where you could inherit, if you were a slaveholder, you could inherit your slaves. The part about the debt is all is a bit of a red herring. Somewhere, some far in the past, someone did borrow some money, but sometimes, from in most cases, they don't even know how long ago that was, how, how far back that ancestor was. The trick is that it's called collateral debt bondage, and what that means is, Joyce, if, if you had to come to me because your child was ill and you needed to buy money, buy medicine, needed money to buy medicine, and I, and I would loan you that money to buy medicine to give to your child, but I would say, listen, I understand that you're so poor you'll probably never be able to pay me back. You can't give me anything as collateral because you don't ha- own anything. So what I'm going to insist upon is that for the collateral for this money that I'm giving you for medicine for your child, I want you and all the work that you can do until you repay the debt. So my collateral that I'm going to hold forever is you and all the work that you can do and that of your descendants until you pay the debt, until you pay the debt. But you can't pay the debt because the slaveholder owns you and all the work you do, according to the agreement. It's a, it's a catch-22 situation, and people just stay in slavery for generations and generations. In many parts of the world, in that, in that form of debt bondage, it's a 
It's a really scary kind of death bondage. That kind of slavery, I have to say, is one of the most disturbing to witness as well, because after two generations in slavery, people lose any understanding of what freedom might be. And that's almost impossible for you and I, and I, I suspect any of your listeners, to imagine what it means to be completely without freedom, to have no sense of freedom. We tend to see slavery from a position of freedom, and we say, well, if I was in slavery, I would break out, I would, I would insist upon my rights. But if all you've ever known is that you belong to someone else the same way that, you know, you might have a pet or you might have a, an animal that you keep for, for animal husbandry or, or, or even just a piece of property, if, if you've never been out of that space, it's, it's really hard to understand even the idea of choice or certainly decision-making. And that's a, that's a mind very much crippled and blackened and, I mean, darkened and, and sort of put on the blinders of slavery. And it takes a lot to help people come out of that. And it takes a lot of talking and conversation and thought to help people come out of that. So, Kevin, and that is horrible, because that is just as if born into slavery parents in slavery, grandparents in slavery. I mean, that, that's a terrible life because then that's what you're teaching your children. You don't know any other way. Exactly. Horrifying. But there's even more than that, isn't it? Even right in the United States, people are brought into slavery. Now, is it that possible that someone would possibly be told in another country, um, I'm going to find a job for your daughter, uh, and here's $5,000, and it's going to be the greatest job in the world, and then the person gets here and they're a servant or a maid or something. Is it that possible? Oh, that happens all the time. That's, that's probably the second or third largest form of enslavement in the United States is, is the enslavement of people in domestic service. Uh, it's been found all over the place. And it's a very dis- it's, it is a very disturbing kind of slavery, not least because I have to say that type of slavery seems to bring out some of the worst in people who are living in America who, would, who, who, who sometimes at first begin to say, you know, oh, I've really helped this person. I've got them out of wherever they've come from. I'm, they're living in this nice middle-class house here in America. You know, they have the opportunity to be warm and dry and clean and well-fed and so forth. But one of the horrific things that we know about that type of slavery in America is that, is, and sadly, especially sometimes the housewives who have domestic servants, because they have total power, it seems to make them drunk with power. It seems to be just intoxicating. And it, and it often brings on cruelty that is very extreme and surprising that it's beyond anything you need to control someone. It's just almost a sadistic approach. I I have to say, I've looked at so many cases of domestic servant enslavement in the United States, and I've been so struck by the terrible tortures that are put out by what seem to be middle-class housewives, and it's very disturbing to me about how slavery can be such a such a damaging thing to to mental health, but not just of the slaves, but of the slaveholders as well. It's interesting, you know, first I puzzled at that a lot when I first confronted it, and then I went back and reread Uncle Tom's Cabin, Herod Beecher Stowe's amazing novel of slavery before the Civil War, and of course, one of the key themes of that novel is how slavery destroys the families that hold slaves as well as destroying slave families. Yeah. Yeah, I, and these aren't always, these are sometimes people of financial means. Am I correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, I did a book a few years back with Ron Sudalter, and the name of the book is The Slave Next Door. Yeah. And we talked all about the different types of slavery in the United States, but we put a whole chapter uh, looking at specific cases of uh, primarily people of significant means in the United States who have enslaved 
normally women from other countries, young women from other countries, and how that's disrupted both the lives of the enslaved women and the home and the homes as well of the slaveholders. And when they do this, uh, do they? I bet, as you told in your one book, don't they often use the threat of the visa of sending you back? Do they do that frequently? Oh, sure. But it's, they, they always, they'll, they'll hold almost anything over, and the idea of deportation is a very, or, or, or some kind of uh, being sent off to a prison in the United States and so forth. I, you know, the, what a thing happens is that many people who are brought in in that way, they don't know that what the laws are. They, they, don't, they don't understand uh, that, they might, that they will have rights in the United States. Um, maybe not all the rights of a citizen, but they will have some protections. Uh, and one of the things that I remember being told by someone who's enslaved in that situation that the person who had enslaved them as a domestic would show them horrifically violent Hollywood-type films and say, "Look, this is why I can't let you outside. You know, the the whole the whole country is like this with gangsters on the streets and violence and sexual assaults. So, you know, you I, I appreciate you want to go out." And I appreciate that, you know, you, you feel that the way I treat you is violent and damaging to you, but it's even worse out there on the streets. It's all part of that control. It's all part of that control. And yet, the thing that I find so disturbing about Americans and their dom- and domestic servants is, enslaved domestic servants, is the way it brings out this sadism in, in, on the part of the slaveholders. Yeah, that is amazing to me. I, you know, I hate to say this, but... You know when you said when people have power, how they can become even more terrible? You know, think about the Nazis. Well, there's an old adage from an English statesman, you know, ab, you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and that is what you tend to see is that often, again, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to typecast when I say these are middle class or upper middle class housewives, but that tends to be the situation where these domestic servants are abused, they may be of means, but they've also possibly never had in their life a great deal of power over others. And they've, in fact, had, had uh, men's power, husband's power, father's, children, the power of the children to, to, to run the life of a parent in many ways. Um, there's something that clicks or gives or cracks uh, when you have the a total power over a human being. You can do anything you want to to them. There will be no comeback. There's no rules to stop you doing it. No one's going to care. It's a, it's a, it's a situation of temptation that, you know, I don't think any person should ever be in because really anytime you, you place a human being in that situation where, they, where, where they're separating out another human being, but almost to the point of, you know, being a subhuman, being some kind of an animal they can do anything they like with, uh, that, that can be a recipe for disaster. Well, I don't so think terrible. it's in everybody. I don't think every person is ready to go that way, but sadly there are some people who, who, who apparently are. Well, the fact that they did this illegal thing at the beginning sort of, you know, changes the character of what you would sure. think that person's sure. like. Well, Kevin, how about this now with this sex trafficking? You know, you have burned forever that first chapter, wherever it was about Thailand in my mind. But um, is I just saw something on the news on CNN the other day. Uh, isn't this becoming one of the largest, most profitable criminal uh, endeavors in the world? It's, it certainly is. I, I, I have to say there's a lot of discussion about the numbers and the profitability and like that, uh, and I've never been able to get to the bottom of precisely how much money and how, precisely how, how profitable, but there's no denying that it's a very significant linkage. I was speaking with some um, law enforcement and also some social workers about this very recently, and they were talking about uh, how uh, drug gangs have, are expanding into sex trafficking, uh, how those who deal in other illegal substances and other types of things like weapons also are moving into the, across this space as well. I think in part because uh, 
this trafficking into commercial sexual exploitation uh, is, in fact, uh, a, ri- a less risky game, criminal criminal operation, than to do drugs or weapons. I, you know, I feel there's a there's still far too many people in the United States who say, well, you know, prostitution that's a personal choice thing. You know, m- women choose to do that. You know, I don't see why we should be worried about that. And what they what they miss there is that. While I suppose somewhere there may be a woman who wants to do this, I've never met one. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the men, women, children who are caught up in that commercial exploitation, uh, they have no choice. They're slaves. They've been, they're they're doing this at the you know at, with a gun pointed at their head, and and they're brutalized and they're sexually assaulted regularly. They're often drugged up. Uh, it's a you know it's a it's a horrific, violent, vicious crime. And we shouldn't be thinking about it as some kind of recreational activity that men can get up to because it's a matter of choice. It's it's what's it's fundamentally repeated, constant rape, and we need to understand that that's the fundamental basis of it, particularly for for the people who are enslaved into that situation. And uh, I don't, you know, I I appreciate it's controversial. People see this as controversial. I find it hard to believe that the damage done to people in this way could be a controversial issue. But, you know, I believe if, if we can live in, a, live in a world without slavery, I don't see why we have to live in a world where people sell their bodies. Right. But, you know, you got to be kidding me. I mean, there are children, children that are sold into sex slavery. I mean, exactly. they, no matter who it is uh, or what it is, I can't even believe anyone would think that because... Uh, I agree with everything you've just said. And for the listeners, you may notice I mentioned children, and I mean children, are sold into sex slavery. Uh, As a matter of fact, you know, there are people that go to certain countries uh, because they know they'll be able to obtain and sexually assault uh, a child. And, you know, just how horrible this is. And... You know, are they are they making any progress stopping this at all, Kevin? There's some progress. Um, again, it's very difficult to measure if things are doing better or not. I mean, we we're seeing more and more cases of it. Uh, I'm think, thinking now of the United Kingdom, where we're seeing a lot more cases. I don't think the number of cases are increasing. I think it's because we're catching a lot more of the bad guys. I think they've now reached a level of training of the police that they're seeing a lot more of it in order, and for that reason able to, to, to do something about it. Uh, I, I wish we knew how a way to measure it to see if that's actually having an impact in terms of reducing the amount. But it's a, it's a huge global issue, and it's going to take a long time to get it right. There are different laws being passed in different places. For example, in Sweden and Norway, uh, now, and I think possibly in even Northern Ireland, there's a law that has changed the law on prostitution, which now says, this will sound strange to you, Joyce, but the law says it, they've made it legal for a woman to, to buy sex. Sorry, to, let me, they've made it legal for a woman to sell sex, but they've made it illegal for someone to buy sex. So it's legal to sell it, but illegal to buy it. And, the, and I know that sounds very odd, but what they were trying to do is they said uh, in the Swedish parliament, the whole transaction about sex has always been, always had an enormous difference in power between the buyer and the seller. So it's always been men with power, violent power and money power who controlled this, this exchange. And by making it illegal, it means that... Um, for a man to buy sex, it means that a, a woman, if she chooses to sell it, can say, you know, one false move and I call the cops and, you're, and you're go, you go to jail because you're doing something illegal, whereas I'm not. Now, I don't, I don't really, you know, want there, as I said, to be any kind of selling of people's bodies, uh, voluntary or not. I don't, I don't think that's a, a good way to, to run things. I think it's a health risk and so forth. But at least that power... Uh, differential that's been addressed seems to have had some impact in those in those Nordic countries that have tried it out, and we're going to probably see what happens with it in, in Northern Ireland as well. Very interesting. Hard, hard to understand, uh, but, you know, 
Hey, I hope progress is made. So, two well, things. you know, because that's at least a better law, I think, probably than what goes on in the United States, which is most states make it illegal uh, to have any kind of prostitution and then fail to enforce it. I mean, they just wink at it and blink at it, and I think probably people get paid off. And, you know, you can find it in every state and city pretty much. Uh, in spite of the fact that it's against the law, it's as if they just sweep it under the rug, and I don't think that's going to help at all, particularly when we know that at truck stops there are teenagers who have been forced into prostitution that are enslaved doing that. There are, you know, they're, they're all over the United States. There are children, I know, and it is and, really, and it is really sickening. That's the only word I can use. So, you know... Uh, I understand exactly what you mean. Hey, Kevin, I mean, wow, this show, every time I talk to you, it's like I say hello and the show's over. So before the show's over, two things. Number one, if someone wants to buy one of your great books, I assume they just go to Amazon? Sure, that'd be fine. Yeah. Is there another place they go? I mean, do you have a website? Uh, I don't sell them myself on a website. I think they're still selling them on the Free the Slaves website. Okay, so Free the Slaves website would probably be good because then you would have a choice and you know, would know what they all are, uh, or yeah. Kevin's name, Bales, on uh, Amazon. Let me tell you, these books are so educational and hopefully will inspire you to want to make a change. Uh, I'm, I hope they will. So please, Kevin Bales... Go buy one of his books today. Tell everyone you know about it, um, and you, you will be changed after you read one of his books. So I know we've talked about all these dark things, but, Kevin, uh, how about giving our listeners an example of a success story? Oh, gosh, there's so many, too. Um, and, I, and, I, and I appreciate we have talked about a lot of dark things. We need to spend some time on the happy stuff because and, and, there's a lot to be pleased with. Uh, you know, I was just uh, with some people who had been liberated from slavery in northern India. Uh, their whole community had been in hereditary slavery. Uh, a local group there uh, goes in and ha- begins this conversation with them that helps them to recognize that they're in slavery and recognizes also the possibility of freedom. Uh, they rise up together. Uh, it's just like a civil rights movement in a lot of ways, and they rise up together, and then they kick the slaveholders out, and they begin to build new lives for themselves, and now, uh, you know, the first thing they do is always they build, a, they build a school to get their kids out of the workplace, get them into school. They're huge believers in education. And we've been following some of those villages now for five, six, ten, almost ten years and discovering that, you know, it works. It, uh, sexual violence goes down, health of children goes up, education levels go up, incomes go up. There's a real freedom dividend that happens, and and, it, you know, if the only reason we wanted to end slavery was to improve the economy, we wouldn't be very nice people. But it's kind of nice to know that if we can bring slavery to an end, it actually improves the economy. It's actually good for all of us. It's like a, it rises, carries up all the boats. And we know that while there's a lot of slaves in the world, it's the smallest fraction of the global population to ever be in slavery. We're at this point where... You know, slavery is on one level a lot of people, and on and it, but in relative terms to the size of the global population, the seven billion people in the world, it's a tiny fraction. It's really standing on a, the edge of its own extinction, and if we just give it a good hard push, we can get rid of it. Well, uh, you certainly are our le- leader, leading the way, and you know I just think it's so important. I, I really do. So. Uh, and, Kevin, I will continue having you on every year, so we will continue educating Happily. people about this. Uh, so, Kevin, over your past couple years, because, I mean, I can't keep up with you with all these books, and uh, when you come back on, you could talk about this new book you're writing right now. But um, what would you say are your greatest achievements over the past couple years? Well, the... It's not my achievement. I, I, I'd point to it's really it's really the achievement of the of the global anti-slavery movement, and and that's really the way there's been a bit of a breakthrough. So there were there were pioneers like you, Joyce, who would say this issue needs to be put out there and people need to learn about it. And there were enough pioneers like you 
that now it seems to have penetrated both into the public consciousness and into the political consciousness and into the consciousness of people who are very interested in making the world different. You know, major, major contributors and donors, major foundations have in the last couple of years come around to saying, you know, we've been working on public health or infectious diseases or whatever around the world, and now we're beginning to understand that slavery is part of this bigger picture. So for the first time, there's a new foundation, a $100 million foundation, you know, dedicated to simply funding those intervention projects that get people out of slavery. It's called the Freedom Fund. And there's, there's another one on the horizon that looks like it's going to be founded very soon or, or come operational very soon. It will be even more. It'll probably be a billion dollars. I mean, this is a huge transformation about what's going on. I, if I've been a little part in helping that all come together, I'm, I'm very pleased about it. But I'm especially pleased because it seems like lots of people working together have made those changes happen. And we're able to see now efficient, carefully monitored, evaluated programs that bring people out of slavery in a way that, that means their freedom is going to be permanent and their communities are going to be not just slave-free, but slave-proof. Wow. That is awesome. And by the way, I forgot to mention this is so important to my listeners throughout the world. Remember, as you all know, I'm a woman living with epilepsy, and you all know I'm on a crusade for the employment of people with disabilities. Please keep in mind that people who are deaf or people with an intellectual disability, people that are seen as vulnerable... Sadly, many of those people are people with disabilities who are part of this whole slavery uh, industry, which is another reason that I feel so strongly about this. So I just want to make sure you know that because, you know, we've done studies even in prisons where a person who is deaf is significantly abused by the guard. And this goes back to that whole thing Kevin talked about uh, seeing someone as different, different subhuman, but of having all power over them. So um, I just want to make sure that I stress that point to all of you. So, Kevin, what message do you want to leave with our listeners today? Well, I'd reiterate what you just said. Vulnerabilities to enslavement include disability. We know that from all over the world, and it's, it's very shocking, sad, but true part of the realities of modern slavery. Um, I think that, that if I leave a thought, it's this. If we learn how to see slavery in our own communities, we can actually say to our neighbors, let's make our neighborhood slavery-free. Not, that doesn't mean that we're going to run out and bust a lot of people. It just means that we're all going to learn how to see it when it's around. And you can look at you know, the website of the Polaris Project, one of the great uh, American anti-slavery organizations, Polaris Project, and see you know, a list of things that would help you to recognize slavery if you saw it. Uh, you know, if we all do that and we grow that a little bit more and say, why don't we talk to the, uh, a larger community and say, why, why don't we make sure our city is slavery-free? What if we had a slave-free university? What if we had a slave-free business? Because we don't want to buy things made by slaves either, and how do we stop that from happening? You could start right at home and say, let's start and make a slave-free house that we're all going to live in as a family. Stop buying things that come from slavery. Make sure we know what it looks like if it ever pops up, you know, and let it grow that way. We don't have to necessarily go out and throw ourselves in front of a slaveholder or get in a gunfight or anything like uh, the movie Taken. We can actually just start easy, start simple, but be very effective. Yeah. And you know what? Um, wow, that's a, great, that's a great concept, a great idea. Will you be talking about that in your book, Kevin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And when will that book be out? That book comes out, the new book comes out in January. Uh, it, 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 it's got some surprising new information in it, particularly about how slavery and climate change, global warming, are actually very closely linked together, and the solution to both those problems is also linked together. And the name of the book is? Blood and Earth. Blood and Earth. 
Blood well, and you, Earth. Yeah. You know I'm going to read that book. And I then hope you so. know, and, th- and then you know I'm going to have you on to talk about it. I'd love to. Yeah, is it in February? Isn't there a day, February 27th? Well, Isn't that just, an yeah, anti-slavery that was, that was day? Yeah, that one of the, as, as an anti-slavery day. That's right. Yes. So i got to read that book before then, Kevin. I've got well, to get it'll, on. It'll I've be got out to get in January, it. so you'll have time. <laughs> All right. Hey, Kevin, I just can't thank you enough uh, for being with us, but I just want to say, you know, you are a champion. I so admire you. Keep up the good fight. Keep leading on the way you are, and we will support you in any way we can. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. Well, we end every show with a quote from someone that has changed the world, and how appropriate would it be today to use the quote, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know, said William Wilberforce. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes 